everyone. I am Reverend Sandy. And I am Reverend Jim. Welcome to Angel Talk Radio Live. Our show is sponsored by the Living Light Center at Church of Faith and Healing. For anyone interested, Jim and I do personal readings. And if you'd like to have a personal reading, you can call 304-567-3354 or email sandysangeltalk at aol.com. That's S-A-N-D-Y-S. A-N-G-E-L-T-A-L-K at AOL.com. Welcome, everyone, and we're glad to have you here for this Angel Talk radio show. And today, our title is The Ten Commandments, The Ten Plagues of Egypt, and The Sermon on the Mount. Wow. And, and, you know, Sandy, if you really think about it, everything around us, if you look, I mean, and all the way around us, you know, throughout the world. I mean, it just seems like we're taking a step back. But I don't think we are. I think we're just going around in a circle. And where we have been, we will be again, and we are again. And where we started from is where we're going to, you know, end up. The Alpha and the Omega are the same. The Omega is supposed to be the end but it's also the beginning. And so we're going through a lot of things that if we really look, the answers to them are there for us. And I know that personally. You know, I started out as a very young child, and, and the answers that I needed, I went to the scriptures. I went to the ancient text, you know, the Coptic text too, but the ancient text, you know, and I studied them and I pondered them. And some of them, you know, couldn't quite understand, but but I, I still pondered them. And before long, came an answer. It would come here, it would come there. And I remember the angels telling me, you know, well, we, we understand you that, you know, we give you a piece, and then you go research and you look and you ponder and you to try to find the piece and you find it. And then we give you another piece, and then you go and ponder it and, and try to find it. And then you get the whole answer. They said, and that's the way you like to get your information. I said, mm, I don't think so. I said, just give it all to me right now. <laughs> you know, why, why wait? I mean, you know, do I really have to do all that research? Just, just give me the whole answer. And they, you know, of course, that, that never happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, you've got to do some of the research yourself because that's how you receive it inside, within you. We can give you the impetus to, to push you a little, a little bit, and give you the chance to find it out for yourself. And I hear people all the time say, well, come on now. I mean, that was written how long ago? Uh, we don't know if it was 5,000 or if it was 100,000 years ago. It doesn't matter. It was written for today. And all my life, when I would run into it, situations that, you know, I needed answers for or didn't understand or, or they perplexed me or even if it made me sad, you know, I could go to the scriptures, and I would find the answer. The answer was there, and it's still there throughout my life. You know, whenever I had a situation that I needed an answer for, I knew that I could find it in God's Word because it was never what was typically written, you know, literally on the outside. I would ponder it. And if you have a quandary during the day, you ponder it at night. Because of polarity, which is the world we live in, we wanted free will, and we got it, 
Now that we have it, I hear an awful lot of complaints about it, and I'm probably one of them. But, you know, but if you have a quandary during the day and you can't quite figure it out, wait till evening and ponder it again, and you will most likely get the answer because it's the two sides. And if you only have one side, if nothing else, the other side will argue its opposite. But if you wait till evening, then the evening will give you its answer. And you put the two together and you've got wholeness. You know, it may not be 100% of the truth, you know, because there's only one absolute truth, and that is in the center point. That's why the angels told me, they said, walk forward. Don't look left, don't look right. And I said, well, what if something's coming at me from the side? They said, nothing will come at you from the side. We got your back. They said, but. They said, God has your back. You know, and the idea is, Walk forward on your path, step by step, so that you'll be where you need to be, when you need to be, so that God's blessings, you know, you'll receive, because they are meant to occur at specific times in your life. And if you're not there when you're supposed to be, you just may end up missing the blessing. And it made sense to me. And what is there on the left and right? Distraction. Always distractions. I can get hung up on something on the left or the right for hours at a time. And then look at my watch and go, where did they go? You know, I didn't get anything done I, was, I had intended on doing. And so it really comes down to that. You know, the commandments not only show us what God wants, they show us what God is like. They give us the insights into our Creator. They say something about his honor, his worth, his majesty. They tell us what matters to God. We can't disdain the law without disrespecting, disrespecting the lawgiver. And that is an absolute truth. In other words, Jesus replied by saying, well, if you really want to live out the obedience that God desires, you should just start by simply keeping commandments. You know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. And love each other even as God has loved us. And all of the words of the prophets, all of the commandments, you know, that were ever said, they were only trying to describe that one commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul. And, you know, if you do that, if you walk through your day, and you can keep it in your mind, keep it in your mind at all times, and when something presents itself, see how it measures up to that commandment or to that, you know, prophecy. And it'll be, it'll be simple. You'll know. It either adds up to it to, be, to allow you to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul and each other, even the ones that don't treat you very well. And the idea is, if you can do that, then you will always have the absolute truth, and you'll always be heading in the right direction at the right time and the right place. It's, it's so amazing, once you begin to do that, that how things begin to connect. I mean, you look back all of a sudden, and you realize that the steps you've taken have led you throughout the day 
to be at places where things occurred that probably never, you wouldn't have expected. I won't say they wouldn't have occurred, but you wouldn't have expected them to occur at all, but, or even be connected, but they were. You make a right into a driveway instead of going the same way you always go, but you, you did it because you don't know why, but when you get out of your car, you'll soon know why. You know, you walk up to the front door of a grocery store you've never been in, and a guy's walking out, and all of a sudden you start talking and you realize he's got information that you have been needing, and you talk for an hour and a half. Or, you know, a guy gets out of his car, and he walks right up to you, and he looks like Father Tom, and he asks you, do you know where I can get a little dog? Well, can I ask you why you need one? Well, my, my wife died a year ago, and I'm, I'm lonely, and I'd love to have a little dog of my own. And I said, have you prayed about it? And he said, yes. I said, well, bye. This was just before Christmas, I think last year. And I said, by January 1st, you'll have your dog. Okay. And he just walked around me and, and into the store. And then up through the parking lot comes another guy, and he has a little dog, a little Dachshund, one, one a leash, and he walks right up to me before I have a chance to even get in my car. And I said, I said that's, a, that's a pretty little dog. He said, yeah. He said, you wouldn't believe where I got him. I said, Tell me. He said, there's a new place. He said, just, you know, not so far out, just out the road. He said, and they're a shelter for, you know, for homes for dogs. He said, they give away lots of medium-sized and big-sized dogs. But nobody wants little dogs. He said, and so it took me two hours, and I went home with this, with this precious little dog. And I said, well, you're not going to believe this, but Father Time, this guy looked like Father Time. He had a beard that was, I mean, almost to his knees, and it was pointed and it was white. I mean, he couldn't have looked any more like Father Time. And I said to the guy, I said, well, I was just approached by this gentleman. I said, and described him. I said, and he just went in the store, and his wife died a year ago, and he is looking to find a little dog that he can have companionship with. And the guy said, you know what? I'll even take him to the place so he can get a dog of his own. He said, he's in the store. I said, you can't miss him. <laughs> you know, I mean, he literally has a pointed beard, and it's all the way down, you know, below his belt buckle. And he took off around me, and then the story went. And I got back in my car. But that whole situation was 10 minutes. But you know what? I mean, it shows you that you're, I was where I needed to be at the time I needed to be so that the manifestation of God can come through you. Spirit is spirit. A lot of times we call for spirit and ask that spirit, you know, smite something or change something or alter something. But you realize that spirit spirit. And for it to be changed in the material realm, it has to be changed by someone in the material realm. And that's us. And we are the grounding force or the lightning rod, however you want to look at it sometimes. But... It's why we're here, so that, you know, when, when things are, you know, askew or have been changed or altered and they're no longer in divine pattern, we can be the ones that God can use us to help bring about those changes or the help that somebody prays for. You don't even have any idea that possibly you could be someone's guardian angel in the night states while you're, while you're sleeping. But it is possible. 
if you are in such a tumult with God that that you are needed, you know, you can you can be halfway across the world and someone may be praying for someone to come with an answer they need. And you may have that answer. And they will look at you as their guardian angel because you are in your astral form. This and is true. This is very true. It's amazing. And you know, because so many people don't stick to what they need to do, what they're supposed to do. I believe that this is why we were given the Ten Commandments, because we need to understand that they are guidelines for us to help us keep and stay connected to God. And so many times, you know, these commandments have been broken. And, you know, God is a forgiving God, but... It is our guidelines, and these Ten Commandments are something that we should try as best as possible to adhere to. Well, you know, Sandy, it's interesting, too, because if you bring up the Ten Commandments, most people will tell you, oh, I know the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're so simple. I mean, everybody knows you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't, you know, kill. I mean, come on, aren't those pretty simple things? But, you know, they're not so simple. They can become complex in people's minds, in people's lives. I mean, I've had tell people tell me, oh, if somebody gives me an extra $10 at the, you know, at the teller window, oh, well, I consider that a gift from God, and I, I keep it. I said, yeah, but the person, when their drawer's counted and it comes up short, well, they're not going to consider it a blessing. I said, so why wouldn't you just give it back? I mean, why, why take the chance with the little things? I mean, right. you're probably going to have big things in your life that you'll have to deal with. Why not, you know, do the right thing with the little things? Well, I believe it to be, a, you know, a gift from God. Well, what about when you can't pay your rent? Oh, well, God doesn't have time to worry about me not pay, being able to pay my rent. See, you have taken the personalization away from God. Right. I mean, God's there, and if you allow God to live within you, and you keep the greatest commandment of all, which is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and love each other, even as God hath loved us. That one, all prophecies, all commandments, are really trying to explain that one. And if you hold that as your ideal, and everything you do, you match it up against that in the center, in the center point, you know, as you walk forward, and it either, it either agrees with it, matches it, and, you know, and you can comply, consider to comply with it, then you know that it's right, it's truth, and it will take you in the right direction. But if it doesn't, uh, you know, and so many people will try to find a way around it. Well, you know, but, you know, that extra 10 bucks was a gift from God. No, it wasn't. It was a gift from the teller, you know, who didn't know she was giving it to you. All right. And, you know, I think one of the hardest ones for most people is, thou shall have no other gods before me. How many times do we place our material possessions, our money, all of our physical wants and needs, you know, above, you know, God? How many times do we do this? And not just as a person, but even as a nation. Yeah, aren't those really the first things we think about often, way too often? I mean, you know, oh, my goodness gracious, you know, I've got to go to the bank and make make sure I make that payment today. You know, well, that's the first thing you thought of, really? I mean... It can't be, because then it becomes your God. 
whatever it is that is first and foremost in your life at any given time becomes your God. And the idea here is, is that your first thought should be in gratefulness to your God for all the blessings and to ask for guidance to make sure you're in the steps where you need to be, when you need to be, so that you don't miss one of the blessings or any of the blessings that may be coming your way. Yeah. And, you know, another thing is that you'll hear this on television, you'll hear it out in the public, you know, that remember, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And how many times is this done? You know, it's... It's way too easy. It is. I mean, you hit your, you hit your, your thumb with a hammer by accident when you're you know, trying to hit the nail. There's just some words that come out that, you know, only seem to fit. But, but, you know, if we can consciously try to change it in any way we can, then, you know, it will bring about a more peaceful, you know, place in, inside of us. Right. Because it doesn't, it, it counteracts, you know, the, the vibration of the Creator, the vibration of the Holy Spirit, the vibration of the Christ within us and even within our own souls, you know, and, and it's harder to get rid of than it was to say it in the first place. It is. And another, to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, the six days thou shalt labor and do the work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. You know, we have taught that, you know, if we just do a little bit each day, that one-seventh of the hours in the day could be put on focusing on God, you know, then we will have accomplished what we're trying to do. It's correct. You know, I'm one of those who, I don't necessarily believe that God created the heavens and the earth, you know, in seven days. I just don't. I believe it was supposed to have been raised, you know, seven rays, because we are made up of the seven colors that make up the white light. And it was split to create the physical body. And so we had to walk each one of those, those colors, you know, red being what? Instinct. And all the way up through until we could reach the very top, the seventh, which is, you know, the, the purple. Um, and even above that, and unite the colors back into oneness of white again, because we started out with white light, and God is the most beautiful of white light. And so I believe it was rays, but even so, in days, it says, and God considers, you know, a day to be as a thousand years. So I do believe that it took, you know, a while, you know, if nothing else, you know, thousands of years, for creation to really coalesce. I mean, you know, in the bottom parts of, of galaxies, they were hot and they were molding and they were, re, you know, being, being created together. And so they had time to take time to cool and, and time to coalesce into planets and, and asteroids and whatever else it was, you know, in our universe. But the wonder of it all is that no two particles of anything occupy the same frequency space inside of the universe, inside of our solar system, 
inside of our planet. And, and that in and of itself is amazing that there could be so many frequencies that everything moves at its, its own rate and its speed and, and has its own place in space. I mean, that's how much God, you know, cares about what, is cre- what he created. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. And, we, and one, of the, one of the commandments, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long. You know, it's all about putting them before ourselves, showing them preference, and, you know, and not allowing our ego to step in. Right. But, you know, it's also that when you grow up, when I was young, I, I drank milk. When I was a baby, I drank milk. As I got older, I put away milk and began to drink and began to eat meat. It says in the scriptures, and it's telling you that you're you're grasping, you know, larger truths, and you're gaining wisdom as you apply the the knowledge. And you have to apply the knowledge. Casey Edgar Casey said, "Knowledge not applied is not yet knowledge." So you have to apply the knowledge to gain the wisdom. And then you, you apply the wisdom to gain the understanding. And so it's so necessary for us to honor, when we get to that point, who is our father and our mother? It's God. It's our father, mother, God. Because if you, if you aren't living your life for, for God, then you have no need of a father, mother, God. And yet, Jesus did. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he's telling us that, you know, that we have to be in God's image to be able to be accepted as the child. And you must be as the little child if you are to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It's so really simple when you start putting the other pieces together with it. Um, yeah. But it's very important. Yeah. And, you know, and you, like you said before, some of them are very obvious. Like, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witnesses against the neighbor, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor. You know, these are pretty self-explanatory, you know, and it's important to try to remember these things so that you don't just, you know, end up doing something without thinking about it or the consequences of it. Now, and and not to have any graven images. Um, Can I stop you for a second? Go back to the one you were just at, because you said something last night when I was talking to you that I thought was profound. Mm-hmm. You know, thou shalt not kill. Thou mm-hmm. shalt not shalt not what was it? Bear false false witness. Mm-hmm. And kill or steal. You know, how often? Again, the ten dollars extra. Yeah. We don't consider that stealing, but was it ours? You know, if we take a blessing from God and we get a really nice car, a really nice house, how often do we take the credit for it? You know, oh, I worked really hard, man. I'm really good. I'm smart. You know, that's how I got it. Oh, I negotiated a really good price for that for that car. You know, or do we give God the credit? And that's the point, too. If not, are you stealing it away from God? Because God, God created everything. Anything that exists belongs to God. And if we have the ability or blessing to be able to partake of it or share in it, 
wow, I mean, do we really realize that, you know, that we're blessed, that we were given a blessing? And do we turn around then and share that blessing or a blessing with others because it's necessary? That is part of the law, that Mm -hmm. what you receive, you share. And if you don't share it, then you hold it within yourself. And that was the issue with the fallen angels. They took the light within themselves, and they used it for their own purposes and for themselves. And it caused them to fall because the law requires us to receive for the purposes of sharing. And when we do, we create a restriction of light that, that tells God how much we want. I tell people, try to outgive God. Mm-hmm. You know? And they say, well, how, how can you outgive God? Yeah, exactly. But try it. Because the more you try to help people that are in less fortunate situations than you are, God will replace the light and give you more. And you do it again, he will replace the light and give you more. That is a universal law. And, you know, and even killing. You mentioned killing someone's spirit, Mm -hmm. you know, just by berating them or, you know, or in the days of slavery or in, you know, I mean, people who hold other people hostages. I mean, come on. You are killing. You are killing their spirit. You are killing their, their, you know, individuality. You don't have that right. You didn't, God didn't give you that right to do that. And so, therefore, it's not just killing somebody off, not just shooting somebody from off the side of, the, of a mountain. It is killing in any way that takes from someone else what you can't replace. Right. Now, we want to try to move on now to the ten plagues. You know, Edgar Casey taught the ten plagues, saying that the judgments of God or Egypt were called plagues. First one was the Nile is changed into blood. Well, we might say that the ten plagues are symbolical of various stages of evolution. The physical evolution emanates first from water, and then, in the last stage, the slaying of the firstborn. It's only possible through the shedding of blood for redemption. So, in other words, sacrificing the individual lifeblood for the ideal. The pattern was shown to us through Jesus. Individually, we have our own blood shedding, uh, but not physically as he did, but in giving up our purposes for his. So, symbolically, the firstborn of any situation from Cain on down seems to represent the selfish impulses that brought about our involvements in the materiality. You know, what is the first reaction in this situation? Is it about our self-spirit or the Christ? The plagues remind one of Jesus' teaching. There is no remission of sin through the shedding of blood. It is only through tribulation and sacrifice that we shed selfishness from our life. And keep in mind, too, that when you talk about the shedding of blood, it is, it is the purpose, because the blood contains the consciousness that runs through the body, does it not? Mm-hmm. And so when Cain killed Abel, the first thing that came through, God said to Cain, he said, thy, thy brother's blood cries to me from the ground. 
He didn't say his body cries to me from the ground. He said his blood cries to me from the ground. And I truly believe that, you know, Cain was not Adam's son. He was Eve's son, but he was much bigger, much taller, much, you know, way much, way bigger than, than Abel was. And he slew him. But there wasn't anything left but the blood. So where did the body go? And I still think that that's where the word comes from. You know, Cain, Abel. Cain, Abel, cannibal, cannibal. You know, I do believe that he, he ate his own brother. And I believe that started a, a group of very large individuals, or the Nephilim, on the earth that were very large, very big. They were called giants in the land in the scriptures. And I tr- do believe that, that there wasn't enough to feed them. They were constantly forcing nature to provide more and more and more and more. And they were over taxing nature, and it just couldn't produce enough. And so they would eat whatever they could find, including people, or they would end up eating each other if necessary. And can we see how far out of balance it becomes through one simple, one simple movement out of the law? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, we think it's little. It seems little. I'll give back 10 bucks, nobody will notice, you know? <laughs> But that's not the point. You'll notice. Right. You know, and it lives within you then. And it'll always be a little irritation somewhere. You may not think so, but someday it's going to have to show itself. Because the only way to get rid of sin is for it to present itself in front of you. There were sins that Jesus forgave, and those were sins of commission. Sins of omission were those sins that he had to call to mind. And he called them to mind so that the individual could see them and notice them, and then ask forgiveness forgiveness for them. Because too often we bury things away, and, you know, we, don't, we forget about them. That happened a long time ago. That's past, way back, you know. Mm-hmm. And we forget about them. And we don't want to forget about them. <laughs> we, you know, you can't just blanket, you know, oh, forgive me of all my sins, and I'm done. Right. You know, but I hear it a lot, you know. All you have to do is just give your life to Jesus, you know. I have to say that I'm saved, you know. And I'm done. I'm ready. I, when I go, I'm, I've got a place. But, you know, that simple statement of, if you believe in me, you shall never die. But it's believing in him means following him. It means doing the things that he did. It means walking in his path. And it's not an easy one, but each must bear their own cross. Mm-hmm. And, and as we do, we have to walk what God wants us to walk. We have to walk the, the commandments. We have to walk the laws. We have to walk our spirituality in him. It was said that, you know, that the seventh day was Sabbath. And you can celebrate it that way. But I truly believe that it's one-seventh of your life or your week. Best way to do it. If, if you, you know, one, if you can do one whole day, great. But if not, you can do it through one-seventh of your week, but much harder then because every possible thing that will distract you will show up to do so, to make sure that you don't hit the seventh, you know, with the one-seventh of your life. But you can do it that way, and the best way, if you're going to do it that way, is to just try and stay in a state of consciousness that is spiritual. You know, sing songs in your mind. 
If you sing songs in your mind, nothing else can get in. Try it. You know, if you're singing, you're not thinking about anything else. And one-seventh of the week, you have to figure that out for yourself, mm-hmm. how much time that is. Yeah. Now, the second plague was a visitation of frogs, Exodus 8.1. Yeah, frogs are particularly worshipped by many Egyptians, especially in the king's household, because they were considered a great delicacy and raised as food for the court. So this visitation showed the Egyptians that the Israelites, God, had the power to raise instantly that which took the Egyptians great care and time to produce. Right. Even around here, how often do we see frogs anymore? I mean, it used to be there were lots of them, but, you know, they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, you know, I don't know what's harming our our nature. You know, mm-hmm. we have nine deer that come, mm-hmm. you know, onto our property at night, in the evening. And lots of other animals, you know, possums and, yeah. you know, even skunks. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's so interesting. But, and, and this year I saw... Quite a few toads, you know, and I stopped. Yeah. yeah, and I say a blessing, you know, for the toads, you know, for them being on the property, different colored ones, you know, mm-hmm. um, and usually around the area where we're, we have a sacred place and we have an angel that sits there in that bed and we planted a rose in front of it. And I, I've seen more toads around that area than any place, but, you know, they're part of nature, but mm-hmm. they're, we're losing them and we don't. Do we really notice, or do we just hope, good, you know, I don't really like having toads in my yard, Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. but, but yeah. we're losing. We are losing, though. And now, in the third plague, this is the infestation of lice, you know, Exodus nine sixteen, which demonstrates God's power to create living creatures or insects from any unnatural source, because lice are blood-sucking insects, and the Egyptians cannot say that the lice just happened because of the unusual filth condition, but it could be said, however, that the lice were a natural result of the water having been turned to blood. And so you see, we're looking at the raising of going from the first stage of the water and then moving into the higher stages of the blood. The other thing is we're now getting to the point where the plagues no longer affected the Hebrews. Right. It began, still affected the Egyptians, but it did not affect the Hebrews because Moses was able to raise the energies high enough that the Egyptian magicians couldn't match it. They could not duplicate anything that he was able to do. And even now, if we can raise ourselves up above where we start typically at, you know, if we get angry or, you know, whatever pushes us down and allow ourselves to be lifted up and ask God every day to lift us up, you know, through the Father, the Messiah, our God and Savior, and the Holy Spirit to lift us up above the chaos, you know, we will find that much of what we see other people going through, and we will begin to see it. We'll see them arguing, fighting, you know, shooting each other. I mean, it's happening now. I mean, I think today they announced today that there were, what, 1,890 um, earthquakes in Iceland this week in one day? 
Yeah, that's a huge amount. Something's, I mean, something's moving. And yeah. we want to be above the chaos. And so once we got to that point, and Moses got to that point, he was able to lift the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, up higher, high enough that the magicians of Pharaoh couldn't duplicate it. Yeah. Well, in the fourth plague, we find the first difference in the Egyptians' feelings towards the children of Israel. The Egyptians were beginning to realize that the Hebrews were favored by this divine influence. Uh, the Pharaoh was willing to permit the children of Israel to rest for their labors a few days and then make sacrifices to their God. But, you know, Moses could not accept this. He knew he had to get the people out of the land entirely and away from the Egyptian influence. It's true. You know, even now, we want to put off till tomorrow what we should be doing today. It's human nature. I'm not going to... I'm not judging anybody for it. I'm just saying it's human nature. Why not put off till tomorrow what we can, you know? I'll do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's because we for, can so easily forget. And that's why, why Moses would accept even that, because he knew, you know. I mean, let's see, about 25,000 years ago, we were told that by the rulers of this system that we would be given the light back to us that we needed to be able to ascend from this system, you know, and and become the beings that God had created us to be. And when it came time, ah, there was every excuse found under the book, mm-hmm. you know, to keep us from being able to hold that light and being able to, you know, get off this planet and off the, out of this system and into the many mansions that were promised to us by the Christ. Yep. And it's just too easy to forget as time goes by. Yeah, well, I know I promised it then, but, you know. And how often, you know, do we put the amount of money, the 10% in this collection plate? I mean, you know, the collection plate. Give to those things you should give to, but take care of your churches too, you know. And it's a commandment. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's something we should follow because it gives back to us tenfold what we give. It it's does. all God's. I mean, you aren't, you know, letting go of that dollar. You know, it's hard. You have to struggle, you know, to get it out of their hands. I mean, don't, mm-hmm. don't be a giver that, you know, I really don't want to do this. I mean, but you send your bills out. And think about it. If you're angry when you send those bills out, you're sending them out into into the ethers, into the planet, into the energies, you know, into the system, and you're sending them out angrily. Well, you know, how do you think that's going to affect your prosperity, you know, the things you do, the things that come back to you? You know, be a cheerful giver. Yeah. Now, the fifth plague, this one was striking at the source of supply. The disease on the cattle and the other beasts of burden was creating quite a financial expense. And after the third plague, that the children of Israel were not afflicted, as were the Egyptians, they seemed to be immune after that plague. And the Israelites had become so in tune with Moses' purpose that such things did not come near them. So this was wonderful. And it had been indicated that the fifth plane of consciousness is the highest an earthbound consciousness can attain. 
and this is interesting in the light of the sixth plague, being the first the Egyptian magicians could not duplicate. It's also the first time these magicians could not immunize themselves from the plague's effects. Like the boils usually come from a condition of the blood, and the blood had become susceptible to boils because of the conditions resulting from previous plagues, but the children of Israel were immune. Right. And I can't even imagine, I mean, a whole nation full of people running around with boils all over their body, except for the Israelites. If that wouldn't give you a hint that maybe they know something that I don't. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, so a little by little they started to, you know, point their finger at the Pharaoh and say, you know, are you sure you don't want to let these people go? Right, right. Now, one of the, one of the plagues, and I'll tell you what, this seems to be happening here on the planet a good bit, and that's the plague of the hailstorm. You know, have you noticed some of the hailball sizes that have been coming down? Well, this plague was the first plague in which the choice of the individuals became the governing factor. With the forewarning of the, whole, the hail, every individual had the opportunity to choose if he would believe in the power of the God of Moses or trust in Pharaoh's protection. Right. And most of the Egyptians didn't, you know. And the hail was so large, and it's known that hail can get so cold that it becomes hot. You know, what's the hottest color that there is? It's blue. And it's also the color of the cold. Cold is cold. Is blue. And so it tells you the opposite end. And so the hail came down so large and so fast that it literally caught things on fire. Yeah, it did. I mean, you don't really want to be outside when that happens. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> you know, I mean... And no telling it's not going to come through your roof. Right. So, you know, there's... But it, look how long it took for the, for the Egyptians to really start thinking about, hmm, you know, is there something here I should be looking at? I mean, maybe Moses is right. Mm-hmm. And, and he had opposition from his own people, the Hebrews. They've been in slavery for, what, 400 years? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you've been in slavery for 400 years, it has a tendency to become a part of you. I mean, to literally, you know, become human nature. Right. And so, you know, to be able to change after 400 years, because you weren't there when slavery first happened. You know, you have been born, and your, or your grandfather's been born, and your father's been born, and you've been born. And, and they've heard the stories and what was to come and the anticipation of Moses' arrival, but it was still a little hard for them to think of having to change. And what if I do change? At least I can eat here. But I get beaten every day with a whip, but I get to eat, you know. Mm-hmm. And how often here do we think that? You know, I mean, well, I've got a nice house to live in. It's, it's got five bedrooms and there's two of us, you know, I mean. Or, you know, or I drive the nicest car because it's better than the one beside of me that, that my neighbor's got. I mean, we still think in those ways in some ways. And, you know, we put ourselves into slavery too, way too often to get those things. We, you know, we have to work harder. We have to give up most of our lives together with our families to be able to make enough money to have those things that we want and desire. And they're not really necessary, are they? 
I mean, mm-hmm. do you need a five-bedroom house with three bathrooms for two people? I mean, that's on the nicest block in the neighborhood with the nicest car. I mean, or do you really need a nice house that's out in the country where you can see the, you know, the eagles fly over, you can see, you know, the streams running and and feel feel the 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 life force of God as it moves through you. I mean, and not have to be a slave to system because right. that system has a plan, you know, that it is going to increase and it is going to increase the slavery and it's going to do it little by little, piece by piece over the next couple of years. And it's always that way. You know, the dark forces, they've got plenty of time. They don't really worry too much about, you know, how long it's going to take them. They just plan it all out, and then they wait for it to come, come to pass. We as Christians, we want it now. Yeah. I want it today. True. You know, yeah. I mean, give it to me now. I mean, yeah. and it's the difference. Yeah, let's move on on the plagues here because we've got a couple to okay, go. Yeah. So the next one was the plague of the locust. Uh, and after the hail, the Egyptian people knew that they should heed the warning about the locust, and the people went to the Pharaoh to let Moses and his people go. And they pleaded with the Pharaoh, but the Pharaoh, could, he wouldn't concede to it. And so God hardened the Pharaoh's heart. Then the Pharaoh admitted his guilt again, yet he went back on his word. You know? And then it went into the next plague, which is the ninth one, which was darkness. And this plague signifies the spiritual darkness of an individual who continually refuses to recognize or use the light that's offered. And that is the hardening of the heart. People have asked me, well, why would God, you know, was it really the Pharaoh's fault then if God hardened his heart? Well, what that really means is that God withdrew his presence from the heart of the Pharaoh. And without God in your heart, trust me, your heart will be hard. And, you know, when you let darkness in, it grows. Even a little bit of darkness, just a little lie, a little lie, not a little white lie, it grows. Mm-hmm. And it grows, and it grows, and it becomes darker and darker, and it takes up portions within the body that are very hard to get rid of. Really, it takes a baptism, you know, an immersion of baptism that is really powerful since the Aquarian Age in the year 2000 came in. And, you know, we've done several of those with groups where we have done baptisms, and it's really important right now, in any way you can, to get pieces of darkness you don't even maybe know you have within you out and ask that the light take up its place. Right. Then the last, the tenth plague, you know, smitten of the firstborn, okay, this produced greater suffering than all the others. You know, before the last plague, Moses was divinely led to prepare his people for the departure from Egypt. And he knew the tenth plague will be the final one. So the Israelites were to cleanse their bodies by eating certain specifically prepared foods, and their doors will be marked with the blood of the sacrifice. And God knew which were the believers, but this act gave the people a chance to express and show their allegiance. So after the death of all the firstborn, the Egyptians were glad to lend the Israelites anything they had just to be free of them. And the Pharaoh asked, for Moses' blessings. And eventually, he now feared Moses and in all of his power, 
Perhaps he wanted assurance that Moses would not continue to, to call these curses on him and demanded that the Pharaoh humble himself before Moses. And they, they were afraid that if the Pharaoh did not accede to Moses' wishes, all would be dead. And so the other plagues had not touched the Pharaoh personally, but the tenth plague, which took his firstborn son, this touched him for the first time. And, you know, it did touch him, and it did cause him, for a moment in time, you know, to be a little bit humbled. But it didn't last very long. And how much are we like that? You know, when tragedy happens, we'll humble ourselves and, you know, and, and, you know, and pray that, you know, that it not take everything we have or that, you know, that God give us peace in our heart because of it. You know, but then, you know, a week later, we're out doing the same things we did before. And that was the way it was with Moses or with the Pharaoh. I mean, it didn't take him long until Moses was gone with the people. And they took the gold and the silver with them that was given to them. Um, and I still believe that they, that they were able to get that out of, out of the pyramids because Moses had access to the pyramids that even the pharaohs didn't have. And so they took it with them. And yet the gold and the silver was what? Their downfall in the desert, mm-hmm. you know, during the exodus. I mean, they had to have that gold and silver for what? Where are you going to spend in the desert? I mean, there aren't any stores, but they wanted to have it. They felt comfortable. We we feel more comfortable with it, you know. Why? I mean, if you had some place to spend it, or you could use it to, you know, to help people where you're going. Okay, but that wasn't their purpose. <clears throat> they wanted to be wealthy when they left. We worked here for a hundred years. We deserve that gold and silver. I I, I hear you, but. You know, it was a lot to carry. You were going for, what, I mean, 40 years through the desert? Do you really think you want to carry all that with you? I mean, you want to go as light as you can and know that God will take care of you because they had been lifted up. When the Red Sea parts and you can pass through it, know that you're not going to have to worry about food and water or the things that you need to survive. Right. And that was the one thing they had the worst time understanding. It just was. I wanted to read one thing about the Ten Commandments. Um, If you really want to live out the obedience of God's desires, you should start by keeping the commandments. Love God. And then follow that up by keeping the commandments. Love your fellow man, no matter what. As part of the plan to spread the biblical values, in the 1950s, there was a movie producer, um, Cecil D. DeMille. He created the first black-and-white movie of the Ten Commandments and persuaded Paramount to pay for granite monoliths of the Ten Commandments to be placed in public squares across the country. There were over 4,000 of them made. One of them was located, guess where? In Austin, Texas. It became the basis for the Supreme Court decision in that followed the Ten Commandments on public property if they had a secular purpose. A little hard to do, you know, I mean, to convince some courts that it's secular if it's the Ten Commandments. But it eventually allowed for the Ten Commandments to become the basis of landmark U.S. law. A carving of Moses still hangs 
above the U.S. Supreme Court bench while they're hearing cases that are before them. I mean, and yet, they won't allow you to put one in front of a courthouse, but they have them hanging over their own bench, and the carving of Moses is still on the outside of the building of the Supreme Court. One problem that I can't believe they didn't see coming, most all of the Hebrew extras and actors on the set were Orthodox Jews flown from New York to the dunes or deserts of California because Demille thought it would add authenticity. But everyone had to don voluntarily fast on the first day of shooting because the all-you-could-eat dinner that they were served was roasted pork. Really? <laughs> Forgot to take that one into consideration, did you? Demille's movies always had pieces of his own beliefs, hidden and known only to himself. Was it a coincidence that he portrayed Americans in acting positions that portrayed the Hebrews. And the pharaoh, of course, was played by a Russian. And mostly the Egyptian parts were portrayed by Europeans. After all, we were in a cold war at the time with Russia. Does that same battle continue throughout the world today? Just look around. Would it have to continue if we tried just a little harder to embody those Ten Commandments, even in our daily lives, with each interaction we encounter? Too often I hear people say, aren't the Ten Commandments just pretty simple? Even a child knows it's wrong to steal or strong to, or it's wrong to kill. Well, yes. You know, most children probably would. It's the adults that are the problem. A very wise lady once told me, we must be very careful when we interpret the Word of God. We don't want to put words in God's mouth. I never thought of it that way. But I have always taken it to heart when studying the Scriptures. There's depth within what one might call simple scriptural laws and passages. Read a few of them, a small portion. You only have to read a small portion each night before you go to bed. And don't attempt to claim it's absolute truth as you read it. But afterwards, ask in humbleness, bow your head like you did as a child, slightly bend your back, put your hands together, and ask God for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of that commandment or that passage of scripture that you may know and understand your greater relationship with him, your creator. And the answer will always come. It will always, you will always know it in truth if you are sincere when you ask. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me do a, a quick reading here. Sure. All right. Many find the physicalness of earth a place to indulge yourself to experience the feelings of good food, success, prosperity, and family. But a lot of times we will get lost in the desire of wanting more, and then the self-centered side takes over. At this point, a great deal of indulgence can happen, and your caring for others will decrease, and your need for more wealth increases, and before long you've strayed from your higher purpose of being on earth. About we one minute. to have Christ Jesus be our guide, our teacher, and our savior. For him to be willing to take on the sins of all mankind and release them from us, now to stay pure in heart, we just have to follow the laws of God, and we will be led in the right direction to understand our soul is seeking the desire to be one with all and be lifted consciously to a higher level, to embrace the energies of the pure light and love of the divine, and to know our time here is to leave this place and the people better than when we came. We must always remember our life on earth is not forever, 
but the spiritual light is eternal. So may each of your choices be done with full awareness of what the future brings to you. And may your soul be one with spirit. Blessings to you. Amen. And you know, it's true. We didn't come here just so we could have 205 stations on television, and 190 of them are worthless. (laughs) I mean, we just didn't, you know. But we do want to thank everyone that's listening to the show. We do hope that you will join us again in two weeks. And again, 304-567-3354, the Living Light Center, a church of faith and healing. If you'd like to have your own prophecy, give us a call. We'd be glad to give it to you. God bless.